0: Hey guys, John Paulemy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, October 29th, and this is the weekly market update. The disclaimer, anything that you hear or see on this video or podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I'm not a registered financial advisor. I cannot give you personal financial advice. This is for informational purposes only. Please do your own due diligence and your own research. It's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay, let's get started. So I hate to say, you know, that we're ahead of the curve or that we're right. But, you know, we were talking about this eventuality even last year when the energy crisis, we forecasted an energy crisis. This was before the uh, war in ukraine the uh western europeans were already or europe was heading for a energy crisis already the world was before uh the war and we said that or i said that you know what were going to be second order effects of this was the energy intensive industries in europe and so when the russians did did invade ukraine uh and then the sanctions were put on Russia, you know, the Europeans, specifically Germany, basically tied, you know, that's that's what basically fuels Germany's industrial might, right, was cheap, large volumes of ch- relatively cheap gas coming from Russia. And so when that was cut off, it was just inevitable that this was going to happen. And I'm going to make a comment here that the people in power in Germany, you know, I don't, a lot of people say, well, this is part of their agenda. This is what they were working towards. I'm not going to say it was part of the plan because I think that they they actually thought when they put the sanctions on that that would collapse the the uh, political regime in Russia and they would get a more amicable uh, regime in power there that would do their bidding they, they be in the European Union, but that didn't happen. And so, you know, this is folly on top of folly. And so here's what you have. You have exactly what we said was going to happen because you cannot, you know, natural gas and various other oil and other hydrocarbons condensate. These are particular feedstocks for the chemical industry, right? For making plastics, for making olefins, for making waxes, for making all kinds of things that most people listening to this don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, organic chemistry is a course that I took, uh, and we did all these uh, things in the lab, right? We made distillate towers, we made olefins, we made fragrances, we made uh, flavors. This is where all this stuff comes from. And people just don't have conceive, uh, you know, again, you go to the drugstore to buy lipstick. If you're a woman, you just, you know, your main idea is what shade to select, not what are the components that go into making that. The same for any, most consumers, right? and so this is what we said would happen and so what's happening BASF which is the one of the largest if not largest chemical manufacturers in the world that has about 20 percent of its worldwide operations in Germany says that it will downsize permanently in Germany and links to the article I think this was an FT article some of the stuff is behind a paywall I will give you a link that somebody else gave me that allows you to get behind these paywalls and get to the articles, but I'll put that in the show notes below. You can check that out. Of course, links to most of these articles will be there. BASF has said it will have to downsize, quote, permanently in Europe. This is what we said. They weren't gonna shut them down temporarily. You can't shut these units down, just let them sit. Once they get shut down, they stay shut down. With high energy costs, making the region increasingly uncompetitive. The statement from the world's largest chemicals group by Revenue came after it opened the first part of its $10 billion plastics engineering facility in China a month ago, which it said would support growing demand in the country. Bruder Muller, who this is the CEO of uh, BASF, said the European gas crisis, coupled with stricter industry regulations in the EU, was forcing the company to cut costs in the region as quickly as possible and also permanently. Okay, well, there you go. There you go. 20% of their business, they're going to downsize. They're going to move. Now, if you're the Peter Zions of the world, you think you know, that that's all going to come to the US. But where are you going to build all these chemical facilities in the US? Maybe in Texas, maybe in Louisiana. Okay, Not in California. Okay, Not in New York state. Not increasingly likely in places like Pennsylvania, where you have the feedstock from the Marcellus right there. No, it's going to go to China and India, these other places with low cost, you know, with low cost labor, low regulatory burden. This is not hard to figure out. And so, I'm going to talk about later on in the clown world segments later on at the end of the video. Which I'm going to separate those just as a housekeeping note that the um, uh, economic stuff and the investment stuff will be on the front end of the video. And then people that don't like my politics or don't like me, you know, standing, you know, yelling at you to get off the front lawn or screaming at the moon, uh, they can sign off. They won't have to be subjected to that. But uh, I'll talk more about what I think about this politically at the end of the video. Anyways, to consider going on, um, Bruder Muller, who was previously, who has previously warned that an embargo on Russian gas would plunge Germany into its biggest crisis, since the Second World War, said on Wednesday, the cost cuts were necessary to, quote, safeguard our medium and long term competitiveness in Germany and Europe. So uh, I'm going to suggest to you that, you know, this is not like some master plan because the dolts that I see, and I'll name them Habeck, you know, Baerbauer, uh, uh Schultz, the whole German elite class is just same as the rest of the eu elite so called leadership class it's tired it's worn out it has no ideas it's on this playbook for this and, and this is going to drag the eu down okay that's what's going to happen what okay so what are the people that are going to get laid off going to do learn the code you know you you have to you know if you're going to get we saw what happens in the united states when you get rid of all the manufacturing in the rust belt okay um, so this this is not positive in my mind. But people maybe in Germany should be listening to Bruder Muller because he forecasted this would happen, and uh, he's pretty prescient, so maybe he should be called in and give some advice to the German government. But I doubt that will happen. You know there's people in the government there, uh, like Habbeck. He's not sad that this is happening. He's a green zealot, and if the industries are shutting down, in his mind, that's good right? Because they're polluters. (sighs) Here we go. (laughs) This was an article. So you know that uh, Germany with the Energie Vende, the energy transition, spending half a trillion dollars on solar and wind to combat climate change well now that they're in an energy crisis they're scrambling around they being the germans to get any type of energy they can so what do we have we have this report come in this week that um, germany is now going to demolish like part part of a wind farm so that they can get to the underlying lignite coal under that because they're now being forced to burn coal dirty lignite coal by the way it's more closer to the surface i.e brown coal uh, which has a lower coal caloric value and is more polluting than normal coal. Uh, here you go. I mean, you can't make it up. You can't. The jokes write themselves. I mean, it says here, uh, Germany is dismantling a wind farm. we well, not dismantling the whole wind farm. It's like eight turbines, I think, to expand the, I can't pronounce it, Garsweiler lignite mine. It's literally being deconstructed for more coal mining. Yes, the solution is nuclear power. The Germans are not going to build nuclear power until they get a different government in there. That's your solution long term. That's becoming more and more recognized around the world. If you're not going to reconcile with Russia and get the gas flowing again, um, then your choices are going to be limited to what you can do. And uh, they're going to increasingly find this out. But I just found this amusing. Because this is, this, is, this is energy policy. This is a legitimate, well-thought-out energy policy. It's not. And to tell me that the masters of the universe, this is all planned, they don't know what they're doing. They're operating in 15-minute-ahead increments, trying to, everything's based, everything always with, these, with all of this is politics all the time. And then people say, well, why are we talking about politics? Because you have to pay attention to what's going on. That's how they're making their decisions based on you know, whether not they're not going to be able to stay in power. Not that there's some long-term plan in Germany, okay? The energy Vendee did not work. No one will acknowledge that. Outside observers look at it. You know, putting solar panels on the, you know, in northern Germany at 9% capacity factor. Does that make sense to anyone? (sighs) And now you're demoing the same wind turbines that were going to solve the problem so you can get at dirty coal because you've, Alienated your main energy producer, Russia. Okay, awesome. That seems to be working out real well. Is that a plan? Is that really a written down plan somewhere? So here we go. Uh, (laughs) Rishi Sunak, the new PM in the UK. This guy looks like he just came off a robotic assembly line. This guy. It's got to be maybe the most boring human on earth. Look at these people that are, Boris, you know, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Rishi, Rishi Sunak. I mean, where are they getting these fools? So one thing that Liz Truss did do was she was going to push to, in her 45 days as Prime Minister of the UK, she was suggesting that the ban on fracking be lifted Because as I've said before, the UK has a tremendous amount of um, uh, potential gas, you know, tight gas formations, I mean, in the trillions of cubic feet. And there was a ban before put on, I think, in 2019. And so trust was like, okay, well, we're going to lift the ban and then, you know, try to work with local communities because we have an energy crisis and we have all this resource that maybe we should consider developing. So the first thing that Mr. Uh, Sunak did when he got in power is reverse that. So we went back to the ban. Okay. So in his first appearance in Parliament as PM on Wednesday, Mr. Sunak said he's going to stick with his conservative party's 2019 campaign promise to maintain a ban on hydraulic fracturing technology to drill for gas under the English countryside. Well, this is why, because there's a lot of people in the countryside that support the conservative party. And so people are scared of fracking, people are scared of development. Um, again, NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard um, or banana, build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. So, uh, you know, in the meantime, you're in an energy crisis and you have no plan. Here's what's interesting. This is why there's no plan and why, why I, do not, I detest these people. Mr. Sunak also supported fracking during his failed leadership bid against Mrs. Tru, Ms. Truss over the summer. But now that he's succeeded her as PM, he is hanging on the fantasy that renewables and nuclear power can meet all of Britain's energy needs. Without natural gas or a credible plan to produce more of it, Mr. Sunak's energy strategy is no strategy at all. His agenda of tax increases and in European style regulation already foretells a low growth Britain. Under his energy policies, Britain could be colder and darker too. Listen, this guy is a WEF stooge. He's a globalist stooge. Put in there, he's got the resume. Okay. And you want to hear something even more? You know, people don't like understand these things. This guy is placed into power, no one voted for him. Okay. And if there was an election in the UK right now, the Labor Party would get in. And it would just be Keir Starmer, who's another globalist stooge. You can't get out of this, folks, by voting. I keep telling you that. You're not going to get out of this by voting. You think you are. You're given the illusion of choice. These people are all globalists. They have an agenda. Okay, the agenda is not to make your life better. Okay, or to help you the agenda is to serve their masters in brussels and the globally wealthy globalist elite that's it it's not a conspiracy it, it, people of wealth and wealth and power conspire you want to hear something funnier this guy's father-in-law is the like main guy at infosys infosys is a c- company that does software and all this stuff in india and he's that's the company that rolled out the social social uh digital system uh andahar system in india okay do you get it now do you see how all these people are connected you're not just going to get some outsider in there it's all it's like when i worked in the power plant they post jobs for a plant manager like at duke or aep or whatever you're not going to apply you're not going to be an outsider and apply for that job and get it They post it so they can say that they posted the job and it was competitive. They already know who they're putting in those roles. Those people have been groomed for years inside the company through mentorship programs, through uh, development programs to put the right person. You're not just going to get some random, rando person off the street to run one of your main generation assets. That's, That's not how things are done in the real world. This is how it's done. People are selected, they're groomed, they're prepared, and they're put in there to do a certain agenda. And so you think you're going to go vote for labor and then Labor's going to come in and change this? I don't think so. These people are not here for you. There is no credible plan. Now, I do agree with uh, nuclear, but it would take years. In the meantime, you're going to collapse the UK economy. This clown's not going to last, okay? The problems are too big. This is, the, this is the sand that the globalists have built that they're standing on, okay? Is the fact that energy underpins everything and they don't have an energy policy and it's going to erode their position every time. How is it actionable? Stay long energy stocks are the best performing. Stay long, you know, look where the shortages are and go there. We have an energy, we have a molecule shortage in the world, folks. Here we go. So do you think that these people in the UK, says half of UK adults find it difficult to pay their bills. Do you think that they care about the globalist agenda of Rishi Sunak and his masters? No. Almost half of UK adults are finding it difficult to afford their energy bills, rent or mortgage payments, new figures have shown. In September, 45% of adults who paid energy bills were finding it very or somewhat difficult to afford them, up from 40% in June. There you go. This is why there's going to be a decade at least of political, social, and economic turmoil in the world, especially in the developed world, because there's a lack of energy, and there's no coherent rational energy policy being put forth. That's it. So... Uh, if you don't understand what's going on, you're going to be like these people, or like I see people on Twitter, right? I mean, I think it was Exxon, Chevron reported. I think Exxon, the best quarter they ever had. Chevron, the second best. So you see these morons on Twitter, which I don't comment back to them. What's the point, you know, about the oil companies are making all this money, blah, blah, blah. We need to do something. You have the Biden administration out talk, you know, <sighs> Talking about nationalizing the energy industry in the U.S. I mean, I don't think that that would happen. But I mean, to even say things like that is shows you where the mindset is. They have no clue what's going on. They have no clue how these markets work. They have no clue how the energy industry works. They have no clue. And so, if you know, I don't see things changing in the West politically because all of all of the even the opposition is controlled opposition. Okay. You're not allowed a platform. You know, people have said said sometimes, you know, uh, why we well, don't understand why you don't have more. You know, you should be having 10 times. People don't want to hear the truth. Okay? We're talking about things that you have to think about. You have to be capable of analyzing second and third order effects. People just, most people... Uh, there's a, somebody that I listen to quite a bit and read their writings and he has a term that he calls MPAI. Most people are idiots. That doesn't mean people are stupid, but they don't know anything about anything. They don't want to know. They're not curious. We just talked about BASF, you know, shutting down and all of the products, all those manufacturing processes, what do they feed into and then where is that supply going to come from when they shut down that manual? Nobody thinks about this stuff. No one cares. The expectation is you go to the light switch and flip it on, the lights come on. You go to the store to buy what you want, and it's there. That's it. That's the extent of the thinking. I don't blame people for that, but that's just how it is. And so people are going to complain about this and say, well, we're going to vote labor in. Okay, you're going to get the Labor Party. Do you think that those are some radical people that are going to make real changes that care about you? No. They're only in the position they're in because they are willing to, they're ticket takers. They're willing to carry out the agenda. And so actionable intelligence alert is about second and third order thinking and how, you know, we're not here making policy. We're not going to change anything. Yes, I'm an older person and cantankerous and get aggravated and yell at the moon and tell people to get off my front lawn, but that's not going to change anything. What we're trying to do here is identify where the puck is going to be because we have people that we have to take care of and we have to survive in this world. And so we're going to try to determine what's going to happen with the highest probability events that are going to take place based on what we're looking at. And unfortunately, we have to immerse ourselves in politics and watch what these people are doing because the policies that they implement or don't implement have tremendous knock-on effects to, to investing and speculating. It's just that simple. so i was talking with i was talking with someone about this uh earlier in the week here's the uh current gas prices in europe you see they've plunged and there's been a lot of media attention on that and that's because they've had uh warmer than forecasted weather warmer than normal weather which has lowered heating demand, but also uh, storage has been full. But you have to understand something. In most places around the world, you cannot store the amount of energy you need for the winter heating months. Storage is not high enough for that. The storage acts as a buffer for your supply, right? It's kind of like an expansion tank or like a, a steam drum and a boiler. I mean, you have this extra volume there that can... Uh, surge or be reduced based on demand supply and demand what's interesting is if you see the white line which is the current price and that gets all the media attention because again journalists and media people are just looking for headlines and you know the media cycle is less than 24 hours now so they look at this it's so wonderful prices are down but if you look at the three-year out prices they're still high and that's because we're in an energy crisis that's because we don't have enough supply okay and so prices in the future are are being priced you know near the near the all-time highs because there's that's telling the market you need to supply more gas you need to go out and drill and supply more gas but that's not how we reconcile with the russians and turn the gas back on so um be aware of that OK, that's why we stay long energy. You know, we don't read the headline in the Wall Street Journal or on Bloomberg where it says, you know, look, you know, we're so wonderful. We we fixed the problem when in, the problem still exists. And so uh, Javier Blas must follow on Twitter. A lot of good stuff he puts out. Um, strong words from Saudi energy minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, no name's name, but clearly directed at the Biden administration's use of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Quote, people are depleting their emergency stocks as a mechanism to manipulate oil markets. That's exactly right. The Biden administration has been reducing, you know, around a million barrels a day for six months at least, to try to keep oil prices down and consequently, uh, hoping to keep gasoline and diesel prices down so that they can get you know help out in this midterm election uh, this is one of the main things that bubus americanus looks at is gas prices right this is in their face every other day if they have to go to the gas pump and, f- and fill up because of the happy motoring society that we have in the us this directly affects people immediately and so it's very people are very um Bubis is very uh attenuated to gasoline prices as a matter of fact, when gas prices were high, you know you'd see people go out and interview people, and people will change their vote just based on gas prices. Uh, you, they went to some areas that are predominantly Democratic voting, and and people were blaming uh, they weren't blaming the Saudis, they weren't blaming the Russians, they were blaming the Biden administration. Whether or not that's a hundred percent true, it's not, but that's who gets blamed, whether you like it or not. So, um, but this is what's happening, and so. Again, we're coming to the end of this situation, right? Um, if you listen to some recent podcasts that uh, Harris, Harris Kupperman, a.k.a. Cuppy, was talking about, he, he's forecasting, or he thinks, you know, we're going to see all-time highs uh, in the relatively near future in um, oil prices. Why? Because he thinks we could see anywhere from a 3 to 5 million barrel um, deficit per day deficit in oil production next year i don't disagree with them think about it um at some point the million barrels a day from the spr is going to go away because it's not an unlimited resource right they're going to have to stop stop it at some point now they've added some additional releases after the election and into the december i think it's like 15 million barrels something like this anyway it's not inexhaustible So that's going to go away. And remember, you only need small changes in supply and demand at the margin to greatly affect price in a commodity market. We've talked about this ad nauseum. So that million barrels is going away. Um, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Louis uh, Gov of GovCal Research. Uh, He's been pretty pressing. He's based in Asia China and he's thinking that we should see, now he's been wrong for a year because he thought that China would come off the COVID restrictions sooner, but he made a good case about now that Xi's been installed um, as, you know, emperor for life in China, that we would see a change in the uh, COVID policies, lockdown policies in China. So, you know, if that does happen, if China moves to that, um, you could see a swing in demand of about 2 million barrels a day, right? Because uh, they're down jet fuel, uh, just regular commuting, you know, that will increase. So now that's your 3 million barrels right there, right? Then you have, you know, uh, as long as we don't slip into a worldwide depression or severe recession, you're still going to have that million barrels a day in growth that comes in oil demand. Demand just from the emerging markets, right, and developing markets. So that gets you to four million barrels. Um, I don't. We we already see that Shell is not growing because people are not drilling. The majors aren't drilling. It's a lot of maintenance capital and slow, uh, you know, maintain what you have and return return uh, capital to shareholders. As a matter of fact, Biden was crabbing about that this week. Also, he went after Shell specifically. Uh, they should be you know, returning that money to consumers by lowering gas prices. That's not how things work. I mean, this just shows you how clueless these people are, but they think that's going to play. And that's why you start seeing these trial balloons or these people just mouthing off about nationalizing the oil industry and these wacky, crazy people like Elizabeth Warren and AOC and the squad talking the crazy nonsense that they talk about. Uh, no one was talking about helping the oil industry when prices were negative. As a matter of fact, when the previous president wanted to begin filling the uh, SPR, when oil was at $27, $30 a barrel, uh, he was mocked and told no by the Congress. Uh, some of the same congressmen now that are supporting the withdrawals and the recent uh, view from the Biden administration that between prices of 67 and $70 a barrel, they would begin refilling the SPR. So this is all, like I said, it's all politics all the time. And the bottom line here is this, okay? Um, This all ties together with inflation and what the Fed's trying to do, trying to push down uh, demand for products and and services by raising rates, using that hammer to run around the house and kill flies. uh, because that's the only tool they have you know, ostensibly to lower demand, demand would lower, people would get laid off, you have, a, you know, a recession or pullback in economic activity and prices would come down. That's the theory. But I, I, it, OPEC's, you know, in a position, I think that if you cause demand for oil to go down, they're just going to cut supply even more. They're not playing around anymore, okay? It's a finite resource. They need a certain amount of money, especially in Saudi Arabia. They're building a half a trillion dollar city in the desert, new city. They need the revenue, okay? They're not playing games anymore. And I'm going to show you the next slide. This explains it. Again, Javier Blas, Saudi energy minister, again, directly responding without naming it to the White House post-OPEC cut, quote, we hear... You are with us or against us? That's what, how OPEC takes the comments from the United States. I ask, this is a Saudi oil minister. Is there any room for we are Saudi Arabia and for the people of Saudi Arabia? Are you picking up on this new multipolar world where people are not kowtowing anymore to the U.S.? People are flipping off the U.S. left and right. Okay. The U.S. is a paper tiger. It's lost its ability. Its hegemon is slipping through its fingers. It can no longer run around the world and for- threaten people and force people to do its bidding. Okay? The Saudis are about Saudi. You see them moving closer to the BRICS countries, moving closer to Russia, closer to China, closer trying to, you know, and so we tell them we're not going to sell them any more weapons systems. Okay, they'll just go buy them from Russia or some other country. It's not, you know, It's not going to be the end of the world. In the meantime, the Saudis, you know, have the most influence inside of OPEC, and OPEC produces 47% of the world's daily oil production. So here we are, you know, whether or not we're actually saying this, this is how the Saudis are perceiving it. You are with us or against us. This is not how you get win-win outcomes, okay? But this is what the U.S. is doing now. And this is late-stage empire stuff as it's power slipping, as it's, you know, now we have, like I said, we have this tired leadership class. It's worn out post-war has no new ideas. All the people are in their eighties that are our leaders. They're incompetent. They're failed. Going back to the same failed playbook that they, they don't have any new ideas and here we are. Okay. It's just that simple. And so, uh, You know, is it a managed decline? I don't know. I don't even think they're clued in enough. They're just, you know, people are just grabbing whatever they can here as this thing comes apart. And so here's what you have. We don't have any real diplomacy going on. We don't have, you know, this is a 50 or 60, 70 year relationship. And it's being, you know, taken and just bashed against the rocks for what outcome, I don't know. So... This was interesting. Uh, here's a chart from the FT. US ships energy to the world. This is record petroleum exports, folks, and so uh, this is petroleum products, probably you know refined products, um, probably total amount of oil and refined products um, per day, and this is oil exports. So you know this is this is your SPR. This is you know. Remember, folks, crude grades matter, right? The refineries in the U.S., specifically around the Gulf Coast, can are not tuned up to refine the crude that's produced like in the Permian. And so we export that crude and import the types of crude, the heavier grades of crude that the refineries are built for. And a lot of people don't understand that either. So they say, well, why are we exporting this? We should be refining this. This is another example. If you don't understand these things because you don't have a background or you haven't taken the time to look at it, you're going to miss. People are like, well, somebody needs to do something. Why would we be exporting our oil if, if you know, we're producing here and we need to keep it in the U.S.? Okay, well, then are you going to put incentives in place for the refining companies to, to change their uh, infrastructure so they can refine that crude? If you're not going to do that, then why would they do that? especially when you're, you know, Peter Ducey, a Fox News guy, White House correspondent, um, went after the press, I can't remember her name, that gal, that's the press secretary, the most incompetent human anywhere, Um, but he, I mean, this woman, I mean, it's embarrassing, but regardless, he asked her, he said, why would the oil companies, um, you know, try to increase production or do these things when this president has said that he's going to try to put fossil fuel companies out of business. So she just looked at him and paused and concluded that day's questioning. She refused to answer the question. And we've provided here on the channel multiple videos, you know, remember the one with the 14 year old girl when Mr. Biden was on the campaign trail, look into my eyes, kiddo, we're going to get I promise you we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. Well, that's what they're trying to do. So if you're in a, like, again, we've talked about this. I'm not going to talk about it again. If you're running an oil company, you're not going to increase production. It's not in this environment. You're not going to upgrade your refineries. You're not going to do anything except for collect the cash and give it to shareholders, and then you're a hero. That's it. But this is interesting. What happens when this goes away? This is mostly your SPR, right? So here we go, uh, BMW to Axe UK production of electric mini and re- relocated to China. So evidently there's like 40,000 electric minis produced in the UK a year. BMW owns uh, Mini Cooper, I guess. And evidently they're going to move that production to China. They're going to continue the internal combustion engine powered minis and continue producing those there at their factory in the UK. But they're moving the electric production to China which is awesome, right? Because we were told that this new industrial policy, this move to green energy, this transition, right? Was going to lead to this plethora, this cornucopia of new jobs and new technologies and new opportunities for all the citizens. And here we are again, moving it to the low cost um, production places. Why? Because that's where all the batteries are manufactured for these things why because it's cheaper and easier to do it in china you cannot it's very messy and dirty processes and they don't want to do them in the because of the regulatory burden and the costs that are associated here in the west move it to china out of sight out of mind bmw is to axe all uk production of the award-winning electric mini and relocate it to china dealing a major blow to hopes that britain could be a global hub for zero emission vehicle mini. who a- This was in The Guardian, which is a left-wing newspaper. Who, in their right mind, ever thought the UK was going to be a global hub for zero emission vehicle manufacturing? See, this is what happens. These politicians just say, so Theresa May, she she was one of the ones that said this a long time ago. Okay, where is she? Does anybody know? She's a former, she's like the third prime minister back. Does anybody go and ask her what happened? Is anybody going to ask Rishi Sunak what's going on? Where's all the jobs? Where's the cornucopia of wealth? Where's the you know opportunity? BMW makes forty thousand electric minis per year at its Cowley Factory on the outskirts of Oxford. BMW's decision comes after reports from Britain's only planned large-scale battery factory being built by British Volt in the northeast of England that it will go bust if it does not receive two hundred million pounds of in a rescue package. Haven't we heard this before? Remember Solyndra, remember the, I mean, folks, are you getting the message yet on this stuff? Have you figured it out yet? These are just SOPs to, you know, people, this is not like workable in the West. Not unless you're going to reduce the regulatory burden, not unless you're gonna massively subsidize these things. Only a year ago, Boris Johnson, then prime minister promised at COP26 climate summit in Glasgow to fund a one billion pound electric car revolution in the UK quote creating hundreds of thousands of jobs unquote his predecessor Theresa May intended that Britain would become a world leader quote in electric vehicle manufacturing and made it one of the quote pillars of her short-lived industrial strategy here you go no comment needed So here's another article by Mark Mills talking about the real costs of EVs. It's a really long article in depth. Again, if you want to understand the heads we win, tails we win more investment thesis that I have in the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter, then this is the kind of stuff that you need to really pay attention to, okay, of, you know, I acknowledge that we're going to try to do these things. We're going to try to electrify everything. This is in the West, at least. We're going to try to go to EVs. We're going to try to have this energy transition to green energy. And the tax incentives and the spending will be in the hundreds of billions of dollars. I acknowledge that. Okay, that's the heads we win because the materials don't exist. The tails we win more is because um, of the hydrocarbons that you need and the minerals resources you need to facilitate that so-called transition. And so it doesn't matter what happens. We win either way as investors and speculators and so deep diving this thing and understanding why that's going to happen is imperative in my view so a couple of just short quotes i've put a link to the article uh you can read read it it's pretty good has some other links in there to other research which i can i need to deep dive too but this is consistent with what we've seen from mr mills in the past investors and politicians embracing the vision of an all-electric car future believe that path will significantly reduce carbon dioxide emissions. That's far from clear. A growing body of research points to the likelihood that widespread replacement of conventional cars with EVs would likely have a relatively small impact on global emissions. And it's even possible that the outcome would increase emissions. The issue is not primarily about emissions resulting from producing electricity. Instead, it's what we know and don't know about what happens before an EV is delivered to a customer. Namely, namely the embodied emissions arising from the labyrinth labyrinthine supply chains to obtain and process all the materials needed to fabricate batteries. That's exactly right. If you know anything about mining, like the big mining, think about it. I'm going to give you a link to a thread that another guy put up who is a uh, very tuned up on uh, copper mining in the process, and if you just look at that, of all of the emissions just that go into extracting the copper ore, it blows all this stuff out of the water. Again, most people just say, "Okay, um, what's the problem?" I go buy a Tesla, I plug it in, and it's getting its power from solar and wind. It's renewable. It's it's green. It lowers CO two. You know, and nobody thinks about. The materials that go into creating all of that, what are the emissions for all that? That has to be calculated, and so there's a lot of um, ambiguity around that. That's what basically comes out of the article is people really haven't nailed this down. But the more they look at it, the the less environmentally friendly it actually looks. But people have convinced themselves, right? Uh, you know, people, you know, people like this stuff. They think they're, you know, it's the Jetsons. It's technology. I'm doing something. Uh, what's wrong with you, John? Don't you get it? Yeah, I get it. I get the fact that those big mining trucks burn 96 gallons of diesel an hour, regardless if they're moving or just idling. That's what I get, that the shovels that extract the ore, you know, burn dozens of gallons of diesel an hour, okay? People don't have a clue, and that you know, what goes into extracting the ore, extracting the copper from the ore, and so, uh, that needs to all be incorporated into the uh, emissions calculation for these things, and people are, you know, as people are starting to do that, they're finding uh, that this maybe isn't as environmentally friendly as they thought. And here's the, here's the. Maybe I put this up last week, but I put it up again. Understanding the copper mining cycle, this guy, I mean, kind of blew up on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. I kind of for, copied or retweeted a lot of his stuff and. Um, it's a long thread, he, and if you go look at his uh, his uh, Twitter feed, he's done a couple of these things now. talking about like diesel, um, so you know this is uh, this guy's been involved in copper mining. He knows. Here's his observation. It's like a really long thread. I'll put a link to it. I would suggest you read it if you're interested. It says wind, solar, battery proponents and ESG bean counters are completely out of touch with copper mining and production. So this is an open pit copper mine, obviously. But he talks about the Kennecott, uh, Utah copper mine, what, how they, how they, the process, not just of mining, I mean, starting from the drilling, the blasting, all the way through the process of getting the ore to the crushing facility, what goes on there, flotation circuits, all the extraction, the processing, all of that, okay? No one thinks about it, no one talks about it, how energy intensive it is, And you're not going to electrify that completely, okay? You're not going to run that. You're not gonna have like a wind farm in the background powering all of that. It's not how things work. So I wanted to point this out because, you know, this is staggering to me. Look at what's happening here as we've raised interest rates and as debt gets rolled over higher interest rates are being paid now because it seems like the fed or the treasury i mean didn't term out its debt when we had this long period of low interest rates where they could have you know sold bonds from locked in low low yields i don't know all the numbers but bottom line is this is a problem folks okay um this is another reason why the fed's just not going to raise rates to you know seven eight percent like people some people are suggesting okay And why we have to, this is why I'm more inclined towards the Russell Napier view that, and Lynn Alden's talked about this too, if you want to look at some of her work, just about how the government doesn't really have an option except for to run a sustained higher level base rate of inflation to try to get, you know, uh, nominal GDP up that would, uh, through inflation, and then that would lower the debt burden as a as a percent of of, um, of GDP. And so it's very complicated. I would suggest that you know if you want to look at Russell Napier's work, he talks a lot about this recently. He doesn't get a lot of play uh, as much as he should. But Lynn Alden's talked about this a lot. Uh, what the U.S. government basically did after World War II to get the debt burden under control. And so, you know, in the end, it all roads lead to inflation, in my view. And uh, so do you get back to 2%? I don't know. Maybe if you have a severe economic decline or, you know, deep recession slash depression, I guess you would. But in the end, they'll print money. They've demonstrated what they will do. And this this is, you know, if tax revenues, you know, are going down in a recession, but rates are high. And you're having debt roll off, but it has to get resold. They're constantly in that cycle, right? Debt rolls off uh, as it as it, you know, whether it's a one year T bill or a ten year Treasury that was issued ten years ago, it rolls off. And then if you have to sell new bonds and bills at higher rates, this is what happens, right? You, you, your your interest burden is increasing. It's like these people that make the minimum payments on their credit cards; they never get ahead of the game. You have to keep piling on more debt. And, uh, you know, this will, this isn't a problem till it becomes a problem. Um, It all of a sudden becomes a problem in a financial crisis at some point, but, you know, you can't, you know, is this actionable? Yes. You keep a certain amount of your wealth in um, precious metals that you hold. Uh, That's what I recommend people do. That is insurance against central bank malfeasance. That's what I do. That's what I suggest you do. Um, And, uh, you know, five to 10% seems to be a good, uh, for insurance. You know, you don't want to be in a position if we, uh, get ourselves in a situation and, and what does it do? It's, it's, I, I look at physical gold and silver, not as an investment. I look at it as, um, savings as a way to prove, keep my, uh, dollars from being inflated away by the U S government. And so, uh, and then against, you know, shocks to the system, if you will. And contrary to what a lot of people say, that gold and silver are, have outlived its usefulness, it's an anachronism, I, I don't believe that. And uh, you know, uh, you know, you you saw what happened. The digital currency seemed to me, in my mind, to be more of a uh, fad, more of a speculative trading sardines uh, that was enabled by a historic amount of low interest rates Uh, That enabled not only speculation for anywhere from baseball cards uh, to paintings to uh, these digital currencies. That's not to say that digital currencies don't have their use. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about later on in the video about where things are heading with the central banks and digital currencies. Uh, I think those are coming. But long story short, um, I'm not uh, 5,000 years of history is on my side uh, uh, vis-a-vis gold and silver. So that was the end of the economics. I'm going to get into the um, clown world and some of the commentary. Um, this is our favorite guy to make uh, to listen to. He's out there. He's one of the main advisors to Klaus Schwab at the WEF. This is Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, there's a video. I'll put a link to it. But this is basically the quote what he says in the video. You will have a small elite that'll make that makes all the decisions even if it doesn't benefit the majority of the population haven't we seen that isn't that what's happening if bad comes to worst scientists will be the noah's ark for the elite leaving the rest to drown so the point i'm trying to make here folks is that these people are not there for you they're not trying to help you they're not interested in your issues or solving your problems okay or making you safe making you prosperous, okay? The, the system in the West is imploding. There's an energy shortage that could be structural, okay? There's a very good possibility that uh, the elites understand what I think I might understand, which is we're on a finite planet with un- trying to have unlimited growth. Now, I'm not a Malthusian, but there seems to be a problem with oil production in the world. Can it be solved by a huge investment Uh, in new production well we'll see but Matt Simmons in his book Twilight in the desert didn't think so and that was like you know 15 years ago so uh that's something else I'm researching and pursuing uh the debt burdens in the west are unpayable and tremendous two and three hundred time percent two and three hundred percent of GDP the I just showed you the problem with the interest payments on the U.S. debt pensions cannot be paid social security benefits So these structural, long-term, unsolvable problems exist. And so these people can see this. And so they have the wealth and power. They want to hold on to it. So what do you think is going on here? Do you think that they don't talk about this and not conspiring? And this guy's telling you right to your face. This guy talks to these people. He advises these people. I mean, I don't like this crumb, but uh, this is what he says. So I'll put a link to the video. You can watch it. Here is the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, this, I don't know, Jabba the Hut-looking character, um, but he's talking about central bank digital currencies. The Bank of International Settlements, basically, you know, uh, a, a globalist organization. Okay, uh, that you know, a lot of the globalists in the West. This is their bank, central bank of central banks, if you will. Um, central bank digital currencies will be programmable, ultimately giving the issuer, the issuer being the state central banks, control over how it is spent by the recipient, your freedom to purchase fuel, meat, flights, fertilizer, or make what, maybe even political contributions, or to uh, maybe, you know, somebody is you know, targeted by the state and wants legal assistance, and puts out a plea for a fundraiser you can't contribute all kinds of really fun things can happen you saw Mr. Trudeau what he did this guy is a child of the WDF he's like you know Klaus Schwab's adopted son and that's the test pool up there in Canada for all of this okay and of course they want to tie this to a carbon credit score because you know CO2 which is not a pollutant. I refuse to accept the fact that CO2 is a pollutant. It's a naturally occurring gas that's used by plants for photosynthesis. Okay. It's not a pollutant. But this is what they've done. They've convinced everybody. And so they've gotten to the children. So the next generation that's coming up, by God, is gonna is gonna fall lock stock and barrel for this. Okay. And so this is going to be couched as to your benefit. It's going to make things easier. It's going to make things better for you. None of the things that these people do is for your benefit. Do you understand that? None of these things that these people did any. How is this war in Ukraine benefiting the middle classes and the working classes in the West? It's not. It's decimating them. To what? what is the end goal here for the United States and the Western Europeans? democracy i'm not even interested in their form of democracy anymore because it doesn't exist was rishi soon was rishi sunak subject to the votes of the uk population voters no he was not you saw until this uh maloney gal got in in italy the previous draghi he was put into power that's what they do so i'm not so these people have an agenda which is to maintain their wealth and power at any cost and I don't even want to get into the other ideas that I have because it's not suitable for this format, okay, of why this is happening, okay? But this is what they're doing. They're telling, this is not a conspiracy theorist. This is a guy from the Bank of International Settlements telling you what they're going to do. So here's your robot Rishi Sunak saying the exact same thing when he was chancellor of the exchange, right? Or whatever they called over there, basically the, you know, treasury secretary, I guess, of the... UK. That's what he was before he became, you know, before he was installed as the uh, prime minister of the UK. So here he is talking about digital currencies and how wonderful they're going to be for everyone. Are you picking up on the vibe yet? Have you figured out what they what they're trying to do? Do you understand now why a multipolar world? I mean, I don't say it's going to be better, but. Where, what, what do you, you know? This is one of the things I'm thinking about now. How do you get out of this? How do you escape from this? Because this is where they're taking everybody. As this crisis gets worse, they're going to come up with these, in my view, ways to save us all. And one of them is going to be the central bank digital currencies. After they destroy their own currencies, you know, you see the pound, the yen, uh, the euro going down in value. And so the thing will be, well, the central bank digital currencies will. And of course, it'll be couched and we can, um, this is how we can, you know, find out who all the drug traffickers are, child pornographers, trafficking. It'll be couched like that. Terrorism will be able to control that because everything will go through the central bank and our artificial intelligence will be able to know what people are doing. That's how they always couch it, right? It's always for your safety. Or it's always for some um, undefined benefit that it will be better for everyone. And in the end, it's for their benefit. They can control you then. They will have full control. If you can control what somebody spends their money on based on some subjective score, like a credit score or a you know, social credit score like in China, then you control them fully. That's what they're trying to implement, folks. That's not a conspiracy. They're telling you what they're going to do. Of course, they they say it's for your benefit, but it's not. Recall, have recall your life. Try to be a thinking person. Has any pol- most policies that these people, your government has ever implemented, how has it really benefited you? Who does it really benefit? That's all I ask people to think about. Because I, you know, yeah, the interstate roads, the interstate road system in the u.s okay that was that was a pretty good idea what else what else you got all right guys that's it for this week um a little bit of a rant there uh i didn't talk about the cameco quarterly results i'll get on that next week i didn't have time to review it fully um but you know actionable what's happening we're still on the energy shortage it's it's until until we have the sufficient changes in government around the world, uh, specifically in the West, that are going to be pro-energy and not, you know, diverse forms, concentrated forms of energy. Until we see that, then we're going to have this energy crisis. As long as we have this continuing, you know, um, deal with Russia, then we're going to have different, you know, we're going to have these discombobulations in the world economy. And you, and, and and what we said was going to happen is now happening. German industry is now shutting down. Permanently. Those were the words of the BASF CEO, not my words, not a blogger, not a conspiracy theorist. The CEO of the world's largest chemical company said that we will be shutting down some of these facilities permanently because they are not competitive anymore. Not in this, uh, not when all the inputs are through the roof, all the energy inputs and the feedstocks that you need, which are petroleum based. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, Appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next week.